You can support Relevant Radio in many ways, joining a giving society, donating a vehicle that you don't need anymore, and now donating a piece of land or other real estate. Donate now at relevantradio.com slash property. Their courage will astound you. Their stories will move you. Their faith will inspire you. Welcome to Great Stories About Great Saints on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome to our special broadcast in honor of this Feast of the Heavenly Jerusalem, as the preface calls it today, Our Mother, the Heavenly Jerusalem. So, that said, let's begin, as we always do, with prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, for the hearts of your faithful. Enkindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's begin. Is the Veni Creator Spiritus, Come Holy Spirit, written by a fellow called Robinus Morris around, oh, around 800, a little after that A.D. And the reason I start with that is because in studying the lives of St. Walburga, who uh, is a famous uh, abbess from, well, from Germany, but actually not from Germany, and St. Hildegard of Bingen, who is one of the doctors of the church, uh, in, in studying them, I realized it was a very musical period in a funny kind of way. Um, Ravenous Morris, well, let's, we're going to go way back in history. Nick, set the way back machine for, just kidding. All right. Um, uh, Ravenous Morris lived around 800 AD, and that, that was in the times, of course, of of Emperor Charlemagne. That's when he was crowned Holy Roman Emperor in Rome. But Rabinus Morris was a monk of the monastery at Fulda. And the monastery at Fulda had been established, oh, I want to say maybe a hundred years before Rabinus Morris, a little more than that, uh, by St. Boniface. And St. Boniface was part of an amazing family. St. Boniface was the uncle of St. Walburga, whose names are sometimes pronounced in Old English, it's Waldeburg, in Latin, it's Valpurga, in German, it's Valpurga or Valpurgis, and lots of different ways to say it. But um, uh, she was an amazing woman from an amazing family. And to, to really understand the period, we have to go back a ways. Germany was terrifying to Roman soldiers. Germany was, and really to this day is, what they call a temperate rainforest, the northern part of it. The, the, these, it's, it's a funny kind of climate. It's cold and wet um, most times. It's, you know, the, the, um, the weather comes in from the North Sea, and um, it's, it's, northern Germany is, is pretty cloudy. And um, 
Uh, it's just a great plain, the northern part, from the North Sea, well, all the way into Russia, really. And uh, it was just uh, an impenetrable forest in the time of the Romans. Now, Romans came from the sunny Mediterranean with the grapes and the olives and the wheat and the and the beautiful skies and the beautiful blue waters of the Mediterranean. And when they were assigned to Germany, it was a little scary because it was kind of dark. And, you know, um, I don't know if you ever read the Grimm's fairy tales. They're well named. But uh, uh, the brothers Grimm um, went through northern Germany collecting stories. In fact, well, this has nothing to do with St. Wahlberger, but it might explain a little, a little something. The story of Red Riding Hood supposedly comes from, well, the forest just east of where my mother's mother's family comes from in uh, Oberhessen. And uh, the, uh, the, there's something called the fairy tale road that you can follow the course of the Brothers Grimm. And it literally, my, my cousin Teo had a tavern, may he rest in peace. And uh, the, 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 the Brothers Grimm, uh, their fairy tale road, uh, went right past my my father's mother's ancestral home, and then five miles down the road, mother's ancestral home. It took a right turn at the tavern, then went on into the forest. Uh, and if you really look at uh, at the, the 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 Grimm's brothers' fairy tales, <laughs> they didn't know if the voice of just asked if they knew Snow White. They never met her; just Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, what about Hansel and Gretel? <laughs> Hansel, well, they might have known them too, but uh, the yes, I'm descended from Snow White. Well, moving or not Snow White, um, little writing. Well, back to the story. The point of the Brothers Grimm fairy tales, which are, if you read them, they're terrifying. The whole point of it is stay out of the woods, kid. Now get some sleep. I mean, that was kind of the point of it. This was an intimidating um, uh, real estate, and and the sunny. Mediterranean world of 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 Italy and southern France and Spain is where uh, Catholic Christianity really really took root, and beautiful Greece and 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 all these beautiful Mediterranean countries. And there's this dark, forbidding place, and and believe it or not, uh, the Romans had set up what they called uh, oh gosh, what do they call the limes? It was the frontier. And essentially was the Rhine River, and then there was a a place at the at the uh, just at the very source of the Rhine, where they built kind of a wall, and it went over to the Danube, which was considered also a border of the empire, and they maintained this frontier, but it got harder and harder to maintain it, and believe it or not, the Rhine River froze solid in 406. And the, the the German barbarians, my people, they walked right across it. Uh, uh, they 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 walked just walked into France. Um, they didn't want to destroy the Roman Empire so much as to to live the life that that the Romans lived. Um, well, that began the unraveling of the Western Empire, and England. Was a, I think a lot of people don't know this. England was a Roman province uh, for for centuries, from the times of the Emperor Claudius in 50 until the Romans finally abandoned England in 407 because they needed the soldiers to, to prop up the empire elsewhere. They said to the English, the Romanized English uh, Celts, the, that you're on your own. Good luck. Uh, but Roman life had been thoroughly established in England. And by this time, the Romans were Christians. And uh, it was the religion, it was considered the religion of the Romans. And uh, England uh, became very, well, Christian um, under the Romans. But all that evaporated. And England became uh, an embattled country. And the northern Germans realized that it was there for the taking. And there were a group of people called the Angles uh, who come from who came from what is now southern Denmark. And it seems that as a people, they got into boats and came to England. And the Saxons also invaded England. Hence, we get the name Anglo-Saxon. Now, 
uh, this is all going on in the 400s, and they were pagans, resolute pagans. And there was a, a pope, um, well, Gregory the Great, who, uh, from whom the name Gregorian chant is taken. Now, what Pope Gregory really had to do with the establishment of Gregorian chant uh, in the church is is debatable, uh, but he he was very interested in, in the reform of the liturgy, and um, hence the chant that we often use in church, the one that I'm so big on, is, is called Gregorian. But he was Pope around 590 A.D., and there were some slaves being sold in the slave market of Rome who were angles and they were little children and they were just these beautiful little kids and with, with little blonde hair and fair faces and blue eyes. And, um, you know, the, this, the Mediterranean people tend to be a little bit darker and swarthier. And, uh, Pope Gregory asked, who are these? And they said, they're Angli. Angli said, no, they should be called Anjali. They look like angels. And so he decided that he wanted to bring the gospel to this land that was distant. Whence came these, these, these kids. And so he asked St. Augustine of Canterbury not to be confused with Augustine of Hippo, uh, the, the, great, uh, the great theologian. But this is Augustine of Canterbury. And he was sent on mission uh, to England, to the land of the Angles and the Saxons, in 595. And the mission was a great success, ultimately, and England came to Christ. And this is where our story <laughs> gets to, to St. Walburga, because she was a member of an amazing family. The Christianized Anglo-Saxons of England decided they wanted to evangelize the Angles and the Saxons and the other pagan tribes and the Frisians. The, the Frisians, I bet you don't know about the Frisians. English gets its, its origins probably in the province of Frisia. It's on the northwest coast of, of Germany and, and Holland. And it's a, they speak a, a dialect there that's almost almost mutually understandable with English to this day. There are great similarities. But um, the language spoken in England by the Anglo-Saxons and the language spoken in northern Germany were mutually understandable. And the English decided, what we would call the English, they initiated, in the 700s, they initiated what was called the Anglo-Saxon uh, mission to Germany. And, um, for instance, St. Boniface, who's the great uh, patron, the apostle of Germany, they call him, he was born in England. And St. Walburga was born in England in 710 AD in what is today Devon, uh, the, 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 the area of, of what we call Devonshire. And um, she was the daughter of an amazing man, uh, um, uh, a person who took his, his faith very seriously, called St. Richard the Pilgrim. And he was, <laughs> this is a good one, you can name your next daughter, this St. Wuna of Wessex. St. Wuna of Wessex uh, was the mother of, of St. Walburga. So she was the daughter of two saints. And these two people had three amazing children. Willie Bald, who was the bishop ultimately of Eichstadt, and Winnebald, who uh, became an abbot. Uh, and St. Richard and his two sons, Willibald and Winnebald, <laughs> you got to love the names, don't you? They went on pilgrimage, and they put their his St. Richard's little daughter, uh, Walburga, and in, in a convent to be taken care of. And uh, when she was... 11, she, she was given to the, the Abbey of Winborn in, in Dorset, England. And she joined the convent at the age of 14. So, well, Dad, St. Richard, and her brothers, Villabald and Vinibald, took ship, went to France, and slowly made their way through 
through the shrines of France and came to Italy, where uh, Dad, St. Richard, uh, died. And the, the boys continued his pilgrimage, and it's thought that Willibald was the very first English pilgrim to the Holy Land. He made it to the Holy Land. And he came back and uh, to Italy and, and went to the, the, the Benedictine Monastery of Monte Cassino and was there for years as a monk. But his uncle, Boniface, St. Boniface, asked the Pope to release Willibald from his, his, um, his monastic life in Monte Cassino and to travel with him to Germany. And there they met after eight years of not having seen his brother Winibald. He teamed up with his brother Winibald and Uncle Boniface and um, uh, his two nephews, Willibald and Winibald, um, went up to Germany and their sister, St. Walburga, joined them. And that, that team spent the rest of their lives bringing the faith to the pagans of Germany, uh, of northern Germany. Um, now, now uh, St. Walburga, um, uh, she um, uh, was a very well-educated woman. She spoke Latin, and she spoke uh, the dialects of, of English and German that were related. She was a, a, a brilliant woman. She, she worked, uh, was, 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 I guess she was noted for, for her ability to illuminate manuscripts. Uh, these, you remember manuscripts, these were all handwritten. And, and St. Walburga was adept at this. So she was a very well-educated woman. And her, her brother, um, uh, well, her brother uh, Vinibald, I think it was Vinibald, yeah, established uh, the, the, a, a monastery in Heidenheim uh, that was a double monastery. There was a, a, a monastery for men and a monastery for women. They were separate monasteries physically, but they were the same monastery of which he was abbot. And this is all going on in, in around the year 700. That's just a ballpark, 700, 750 A.D., and when he um, died, he his sister Saint Walburga replaced him um, as as the abbess of this this great uh, monastery. So I guess well, let me finish the story of Saint Walburga. Well, she lived a life of holiness and uh, service, and was instrumental with her uncle Saint Boniface and with her brothers in bringing the faith to Germany. Now, uh, I always get a kick out of the way um, St. Boniface died. He's buried in Fulda, which is the monastery at which Robinus Morris um, wrote the Veni Creator Spiritus. That is such a beautiful, beautiful melody. And I don't think, when we, when we think about this period, we think about the Dark Ages. They weren't dark at all. They were an age of, of art and religion and beauty um, and real devotion to Christ. This family decided that their mission was going to be to bring the faith to the land of their distant ancestors. And they were well-educated, well-traveled, devoted people who were willing to give their lives. And St. Boniface uh, was in was in Frisia, this northwestern coast of, uh, of, of Germany and Holland, um, these were very, very savage barbarians, and many of them had accepted Christ. But there was one Frisian chief who did not like the fact that his people were giving up the old religion. And uh, St. Boniface was there in, in Frisia for a great confirmation ceremony, which he, being a bishop, was going to confirm all of these Frisians who had been baptized and uh, the pagan Frisians broke into his encampment and tent and uh, uh, killed him. But it said that that he was reading a, a manuscript of the Gospels, uh, and and in order not to get blood on the uh, on the Gospel book, as he saw the ass coming down, he held up the book to keep it out of the way of harm. And uh, that that uh, uh, book is preserved in Fulda. And uh, they got it with an axe, if I recall properly. I think I've seen it. And 
eventually his relics were taken back, his body was taken back, and he was interred in Fulda, the monastery uh, <clears throat> that uh, uh, um, that he had founded, in which Robinus Morris eventually wrote that beautiful, beautiful hymn of any creator. You know, um, the 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 bravery of those people. Saint Boniface. Uh, I'm sure you've heard the story of Saint Boniface and the oak tree um, in Fritzlar, which is just a little a, a little ways from uh, the place where my people come from. There was the the oak sacred to the god Dunner. Uh, the Germans. They felt oak trees were sacred. Well, they're nice trees. Well, uh, um, uh, Boniface was preaching the gospel in this little river town of Fritzlar. And there he was at the sacred oak of Donner. And he said, you think that's a, a god? And he took an axe and he cut down the oak tree. Can you imagine the bravery of that? This guy taking an axe to an oak tree that the people around him considered sacred. And when they saw the gods did nothing, they said, well, guess what? Guess it wasn't that important. And they became Christian. He took the wood and built a little chapel out of it, which eventually expanded into the, the cathedral at Fritzlar. And uh, uh, these were brave people, and they were willing to give everything. And Boniface, um, he gave his life at the age of 79 you know, I have to struggle to, to get out of my armchair at my age. And Boniface, who had years on me still, he he thought nothing of traveling into a land that was savagely opposed to him and giving his life for Christ. And, you know, that spirit still exists in the church. It might not exist in some places, but it still exists strongly in other places. So St. Walburga, a brilliant, well-educated woman from a family that was committed to the gospel. She gave her life, though she didn't die a martyr, she gave her life to Christ. And in so doing, she brought the faith to uh, the land of my people, uh, my ancestors, for a thousand years. And I look at the German church now and the disarray in which it finds itself, the materialism that has corrupted so much of, 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 that, of that land and of our land. And I, all I can say is, well, St. Walburga, pray for us. Um, it's an amazing story when you think about it. And I think of the beautiful music that that they made. They made beautiful music. And these haunting melodies, such as the Veni Creator Spiritus. So, yeah. uh, Nick, uh, why don't you cue up the Veni Creator one more time? Let's listen to that as, and think of... This climate, this 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 time in which these people really, really gave themselves to Christ in this dark, forbidding country full of people who wanted to kill them, they didn't hesitate. The bad music, the bad art, the self-indulgence. These were people who lived for what was beautiful and what was true and what was good. And it was what mattered in their lives. Um, we can learn so much from them. We think of these as the dark ages. They were an age resplendent with light. And that family, St. Boniface and St. Richard and St. Saint, Saint, uh, uh, <laughs> Wuna of Wessex and their children, Walburga and Willibald and Vinibald, 
and their friends, uh, uh, Alcuin and, and Villebroard, and they just, they gave themselves. You know, if you've got nothing worth dying for, you have nothing worth living for. And these people knew what was worth living for, and they were willing to die for it. Whereas all we think about is what's in it for me. Life is about what can I give that creates beauty. And I just, you know, I don't even know if you've ever been to a monastery. There aren't many of them left, but their life of prayer just, it's full of music and it's full of light. And well, when we come back from our break, we'll be talking about music and light in a big way with St. Hildegard of Bingen, who was a, a little more than 300 years after um, St. Walburga. But music and light in the midst of darkness and, and, and the sounds that, that, you know, the sounds of the forest that could be very scary. Um, it's an amazing thing. So uh, maybe we should learn a little more from history and learn a little more from these wonderful stories of the saints and realize that, that the church has been preserved by, by this communion of saints and, um, Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get back, the, the idea of the communion of saints. Uh, but it's something that, that we can all learn from. And and I think of the, the, the lives of the saints as the third testament, the Old Testament, New Testament, and the lives of the saints. Well, we're going to take a break, and you're listening to a, a very special uh, day at, at Relevant Radio uh, in which we talk about the lives of the saints, our heavenly, our heavenly mother, the heavenly Jerusalem. We'll be back in just a few minutes. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. All Saints Day means All Saints all day. Incredible journeys of faith, heroic holiness. Welcome back to great stories about great saints on Relevant Radio. And the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back. You know, just a thought. Um, the mer- I have a, <laughs> like I have on everything, I have an odd spin on the merits of the saints. You know, the reformers thought, well, if the merits of the salt shaker, wisely shaken, wisely shaken, dear voice in my head. But, <coughs> excuse me, where's my cough button? Oh, let me get it. I just keep an eye on it there. But Good the, uh, grief. amen. The, the, uh, um, what was I writing? Raven, about? yeah, the merits of the saints. You know, I look at it this way. If you have a ship that's in, in danger, and then stormy seas, which the church really is at all times. I think that's why I like uh, Crocker's book, Triumph, The Power and the Glory of the Catholic Church, because it points out that, well, the good old days, they were just old, that the church has always been in a battle. And if you have a ship and there are airtight compartments in it, no matter what happens, those airtight compartments will keep the ship afloat. And that's part of the way I look at the communion of the saints, that, that their lives are finished in this world and they, they live in glory and they, they weren't perfect, but they were completely given over to God, even in their difficulties and sometimes their strangeness. And we're going to talk about Hildegard of Bingen and she was interesting, but, um, their lives are, are, as if watertight compartments sustaining the church. And, you know, we live in these times of confusion and, and difficulty. Everybody's got an opinion and everybody can express it on, on the web and, uh, every, everyone's an author. And so there's so many different things that, that, that can just be so confusing to us. And what, what happens then is we look at the, the treasury of the saints. They pray for us. Their 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 good works and their love, uh, they sustain the church, and not only should our devotion to the saints uh, be a matter of of you know the lighting of an occasional candle, which I think is a beautiful thing, 
um, and, and an occasional prayer, but to read what they wrote. And our faith has to be in union with this treasury of the saints all the way back to Christ. So the merits of the saints, what they, their prayers, their example, their writings, their words, they sustain us even now. And uh, that's how I look in part at the at, at the idea of the, the treasury of the merits of the saints. And speaking of the treasury of the merits of the saints, we're going to move on now to St. Hildegard of Bingen, who was interesting. Well, Hildegard, she was, uh, let's see here. Oh, uh, let's, yeah, play, play, play. This is something, Hildegard, speaking of music, this is kind of what got me onto a musical approach to the saints today. She was the author of, uh, actually, uh, probably... We have more songs, the words and melodies of which were written by Hildegard of Bingen, than any other medieval author. She was that prolific in her writing of songs. She lived a, a fairly long life, especially for the times. I think I think she lived uh, 80 years, which, you know, it was a full life. She was born in 1098, which is about, oh, it's about 300 years after... Um, the people I'm talking about. Uh, uh, so she had a long, full life, and she wrote lots of songs. We're going to hear one of them, uh, which is, I think it's, just, oh, oh, what is it? Oh, uh, oh, Virga. Well, play, play the song, and then I'll explain it. Stand upright in your nobility, as breaks the dawn on high. Rejoice now and be glad, and deign to free us, frail and weakened, from the wicked habits of our age. Stretch forth your hand to lift us up aright. That is uh, an antiphon in honor of the Blessed Virgin. She is the frondens virga. Uh, a virga is a branch, and frondens means blooming. O blooming branch, you stand upright in your nobility. Free us, frail and weakened, from the wicked habits of our age. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Well, uh, hold on. Cough button, cough button. Uh, she wrote in just innumerable songs, so many of which have come to us. Well, let's, let's talk about St. Hildegard of Bingen here. She was, again, uh, a marvelously well-educated woman. She... Uh, was from a noble family, uh, and she. Um, well, let's 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 get. Well, she was born around 1098, and her parents uh, were a family of of lower nobility, uh, and she was a sickly child, and uh, she was maybe their tenth child, though we only have records of of six. But the interesting thing about Hildegard is that she started having mystical visions when she was about three. And this is, let me read this to you. She wrote this when she was 77. Uh, um, as she was, she was reflecting on her life. Someone had asked her to write. In fact, is uh, a Pope had asked her to write down her, 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 her visions and her, her, the words that she received from the Lord. And she talked about the shadow of living light. And this is how she describes it when she was 77. From my early childhood, three years old, 
From my early childhood, before my bones, nerves and veins were fully strengthened. I have always seen this vision of my soul, even to the present time when I'm more than 70 years old. In this vision, my soul, as God would have it, rises up high into the vault of heaven and into the changing sky and spreads itself out among different peoples, although they are far away from me in distant lands and places. And because I see them this way in my soul, I observe them record with the shifting clouds and other created things. I do not hear them with my outward ears, nor do I perceive them by the thoughts of my own heart or by any combination of my five senses, but in my soul alone, while my outward eyes are open. So I have never fallen prey to ecstasy in the vision. Now that's kind of interesting to me. Never fallen prey to ecstasy. In other words, she didn't swoon. This was a very reasonable thing. But I see them wide awake day and night. I'm constantly fettered by sickness and often in the grip of pain so intense that it threatens to kill me. But God has sustained me until now. The light which I see thus is not something in space, but it is far, far brighter. By in space, the word is spatial, the, the translation here. But she doesn't see it in, 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 in a kind of space, but it's far, far brighter than a cloud which carries the sun. I can measure neither height nor length nor breadth in it, and I call it the reflection of the living light. As the sun, the moon, and stars appear in water, so writing, sermons, virtues, and certain human actions take form for me and gleam. You know, I tell you constantly that we're living in in the real world and, and the, the shadow world at the same time. This world, which is um, so tangible and seems so real, perceived by our five senses, it isn't the real world. It's the shadow world. It's real insofar as it goes, but there's another world. We live, as C.S. Lewis says, on the boundary between two worlds. Uh, we're like the, the devil. C.S. Lewis uh, puts these words in the devil's mouth. The devil in the screw tape letter says, calls us amphibians, living at the edge of the pond, neither in the water nor on the land. And I think that's a great insight, that we are living in this this double reality. And you know, animals and plants and other things, they live just in this world of senses. But we live in this world of senses and in a world that that is spiritual, that is that is not not made of of, of bricks and mortar. Um but it's a very real world. And there are people for whom that that boundary, that that curtain that separates them uh, that curtain gets very thin. I, I've often talked about Roy Shulman's uh, conversion vision in which he spent a day <laughs> being able to to see through this veil. Uh, he writes about it, I believe, in his book, Honey from the Rock. But Hildegard of Bingen lived in that world. And for 81 years, 80, 81 years, she she had these visions and, and these, these words. Um, and... You know, she couldn't explain it to others. Hildegard uh, saw all things in the light of God uh, through the five senses, but Hildegard was hesitant uh, to share her visions. She had a dear friend named Jutta, and and uh, who was in the convent together with her. And Hildegard, I think, gosh, um, she she uh, oh, I think she was just eleven or twelve when she enter the convent um, again, like like uh, St. Walburga. Well, she had three major works uh, that she wrote of her visionary theology. And this is tough stuff. It's, it's, it's poetic, it's beautiful, and it's, it's way beyond me. But her, her big word was the shivias, which means know the ways. And it's kind of a, uh, a short form of saying know the ways of the Lord. Uh, so, and she wrote uh, a book of life's merits and she wrote the book, uh, of divine works, um, or it's also called on God's activities. So she, she wrote these wonderful, wonderful books in which she talks about creation and the fall of Adam. And, uh, then she, she goes on to, to, to just in the second part. She has seven visions, and she describes the bride of Christ, the mother of the faithful, and, and the, na the real nature of the church, which she, of course, saw as bride and mother. So these beautiful works uh, are a treasure, and she was declared uh, 
uh, a doctor of the church by Pope uh, Benedict, uh, and she was beatified in 1326, but not canonized until 2012 by by uh, Pope Benedict and declared a doctor of the church. And uh, she was elected the the magister of her convent. That word means teacher. Uh, they they translated it as Mother Superior, but she was a teacher. One of the most interesting things about um, Saint uh, Hildegard is she invented her own language. The oh, I just knocked over my little. So I'm, I'm I'm waving my hands around. I'm so excited, knocking things over on my desk. But she invented kind of a. Uh, a language called the lingua ignota, and and it's really kind of strange because, well, she never shared shared it with anybody. She made up her own language, and we don't know why she did it, but she did it. Excuse me again, cough button here. That is some weird, wild stuff. It is the cough button or the lingua ignota. Well, it's called the lingua ignota, the unknown language. Uh, um, so, uh, let, let's, let's, let's get this here. The lingua ignota of, of, um, of, uh, uh, St. Hildegard. I, I got to look it up because it's, it's very, um, obscure. Um, okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. Okay. The unknown language and letters of Hildegard of Bingen. Um, it, it's, it's its own kind of weird vocabulary, which she would throw in words and and um, uh, mix it with Latin. This is, again, a, a marvelously well-educated woman uh, with her, her lingua ignota. So uh, uh, I've looked at little bits of it, and it, it just actually is... It, it, it makes no sense to me, but it's kind of neat anyway. Well, she also wrote a lot about science. Uh, she wrote medicinal and scientific writings uh, that were actually kind of um, complementary, as you would say. They sort of went together with ideas about nature, and so they, they really were more spiritual. Um, uh, but on the other hand, uh, she she worked very hard in the in the monastery's herbal garden and infirmary. So she gathered a lot of herbal knowledge and uh, practical skills and diagnosis and treatment. And uh, she she was kind of, you know, she would have fit in real well today with uh, with uh, all of these health, health tinctures and herbs and that sort of thing. Uh, but it was not just from her mystical theory, but she was busy working in the infirmary. She was a person who did all these things. She composed. She she wrote visionary stuff. She ran the 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 the, the convent, the monastery. She worked in the garden, and uh, you know, uh, this is an aside, I suppose. But you know, we live in an age in which people think that. Uh, position in the church is about power. Really, you know, that, that, you know, the bishop is powerful or, or the priest is powerful. And we forget that, that the power of, of leadership in the church comes from service. Jesus said that the servant of all is, is the one who's really in charge. And we forget that, especially in, in, the, the light of, of what passes for feminism. You've heard me say that that there's never been a feminist movement. There's been a masculinist movement that in this current age, we esteem those things that men do. You know, that the real power is being a doctor or a lawyer, or a, um, uh, uh, an engineer, or all these things. And women can do that as well as men. Yeah, they can. There's one thing a woman can do that a man can't do, though. There's no way a man can be a mother. And this motherhood, this sense of motherhood is so powerful and so neglected in our world. And when I was a kid, uh, the real power in the parish uh, was was Mother Superior. You know, Monsignor was pretty powerful and made decisions, but Mother Superior, she always had a veto. And if you wanted, if you wanted something... You know, if you needed prayer, for instance, you didn't call the rectory, you called the convent. 
because those nuns, they were women of real spiritual power. And if you if you wanted the gym on a Friday night, you didn't ask Monsignor. You asked Mother Superior because she's the one who had the calendar and the keys. And there was real power in 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 the motherhood of nuns when I was a kid. And somehow that's all gone by the boards. You understand what I mean? There's never been a feminist movement. There's been a masculinist movement. The real power of women, the power of 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 guarding life, of carrying life, is forgotten. And Hildegard of Bingen was a real mother. And the fact that she was Mother Superior, well, she was well-named. And she was not uneducated. She was not... Uh, just a passive uh, um, victim of, of circumstances. She was a heroic woman who wrote and, and um, uh, thought and has taken her place as a doctor of the church. The word doctor, by the way, in Latin, this will pass for our word of the day, doctor, is, docio as I teach, and doctor is a teacher. She's a teacher of the church. And when I think of my childhood, it was the nuns who taught me the faith. The priests, they're nice guys, some of them, some of them, not so much. I remember old old Father O'Gara, we would be flying planes, you know, those those gas planes that, that uh, remote control planes when I was a kid. And I mean, the, the older Toomey brothers had these wonderful remote controlled planes and uh We'd be flying him in the in the parking lot, and Father Garrett stick his head out of the window and yell. <laughs> he was trying to take his afternoon nap. Well, uh, I'm much more sympathetic than old Father O'Gara, but uh, you know that was the priest. They stayed in the rectory, and you know they said the mass and preached the sermons, went to confession, and but the nuns—they were the ones who came to your house and when you were sick to see how you were doing. The, the nuns—they're the ones who taught you your catechism. The nuns—they were the ones who. Who, uh, um, who, who you called when you needed prayer? The nuns—they were the ones who, who made sure that uh, the hall was available if you needed to use it for something. And and I think that that women actually, because of the so-called feminist movement, and it's just me, have lost real power in the church because we forget as as modern people that power in the church comes from service. It doesn't come from a, an ordination that qualifies me to make decisions. My ordination doesn't qualify me to make decisions. My ordination qualifies me to stand in for Christ at the beautiful sacred drama of the liturgy. And it's, it's a drama and more. Um, but the real work of service in the church is open to everyone. And uh, I remember the nuns of my youth who, who were real servants and real warriors in prayer. And and I, I think of Hildegard Bingen, who must have been such a formidable woman, who, who was able to glimpse right through the veil and to see what God was, was doing and to see a world that is invisible to most of us. Well, um, oh, I forgot something about St. Walburga. I got to throw something in about Walburga. To this day, uh, uh, oh gosh, where is she buried? I think she's buried. Is it Neichstadt? Oh gosh. Uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, I think she's in Eichstadt. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, Eichstadt. There's a shrine in which her bones were placed. It's sort of a rocky niche. And for a good part of the year, these bones exude a kind of oil that is bottled and, and it is reported to, to have, healing powers. Uh, I remember, this is kind of what got me thinking about St. Walburga, was a dear nun, a German nun with whom I used to practice my German. She was in the Benedictine Convent of Perpetual Adoration in Mundland that is now uh, Marytown. The church there is beautiful and Perpetual Adoration and the monks or the brothers there are, are uh, assiduous in hearing confessions. It's a wonderful place. And it was a wonderful place when I was young with the Benedictine nuns who, who spent time kneeling before the Lord in prayer. And there was this wonderful little old German nun who gave me a little bottle of St. Walburga's oil. And uh, uh, it's long gone, but uh, that kind of intrigued me that these, these bones exude an oil. You hear that about a number of saints. Um, but back to, 
St. Wahlberg's oil. It's it's a it's an oil that comes from her bones and it trickles down through the stone in her in her uh, the niche in which her bones are kept, and and it gets bottled, <laughs> and uh, it it it's used for anointing the sick. That's St. Wahlberg's oil, and it exudes to this day, not all year long, just just for a few months. I forget which months it is, but uh, it's just kind of neat. Catholicism still has this interesting stuff. Well, let's get back to Hildegard of Bingen and nuns in general. So I guess what I really want to say about these two great women is that in their in their motherhood, they did more good for the church and for the German people than you can possibly imagine. Um, if they had been less humble uh, and less, less concerned with the work, they would have been no good to themselves or to anyone. And I think that when we look at the role of women in the church, we need to understand that, that, that the church has a crisis uh, of motherhood, that that the great work of the church was done uh, in times past by these strong, strong women who didn't think what was in for them. They just went at the task fiercely. They were true mothers, you know, that they really thought about about the needs of the children whom they served, the children being us. And, you know, uh, that's almost insulting to modern women, that they should be servants but modern women and modern men, if they're Christians, they have to understand that the word slave is the greatest compliment that can be paid anyone. Paid anyone. Our blessed mother called her the slave of the called herself the slave of the Lord. Saint Paul called himself the slave of the Lord. Moses was called the slave of the Lord. That that to us this is repugnant, but in Christ we are the slaves of God if we do it right and. I think that the world in which we're living doesn't really understand any of that. So, well, I guess we're about to end. And I really enjoyed talking about these two great women to whom I, I'm personally quite indebted. Seriously. I mean, my faith rests on their faith in a very practical way. I mean, this wonderful family of St. Walburga, uh, my mother uh, went to a German church when she was a girl. Of course, the mass was in Latin, but it was a German parish, St. Boniface Church in Detroit. And uh, that was her her spiritual home. And that heritage uh, that came to her, which which still exists, it's 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 under great attack. And it's it's a uh, uh, you know I, I look at some of my cousins in Germany in the town in the forest between. The town of my father's family, the town of my mother's family, um, there is a chapel that was built with money from Detroit, and they have little pilgrimages to it. There's a little chapel in the woods, and uh, um, it's fascinating to see. My my cousins will send me pictures. Here we are cleaning out the underbrush or maintaining this little chapel. So I have a great debt to to St. Walburg and St. Hildegard of Bingen. uh, they created the faith in Germany that came down to me as a kid, and I am honored to be able to share that just a little bit with you. God bless you, Saints Walberg and St. Hildegard. Pray for us. Amen. Amen.